So you have Jeremiah chapter 1. Am I on, Steve? Father, we thank you so much for this time, Lord, in your word, and we just pray, Father, for anybody who is going through uh, just a season of difficulty, Lord. We just pray that through your word you would speak and uh, just encourage, comfort, uh, just bring uh, just that calm assurance, Lord, that you are with us and that you are aware of what we are going through. And so, Father, we just lift this time up to you as we have an opportunity to see Uh, how your servant was able to handle a difficult time. And so bless our time as we have it now in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. So let me throw out the question. Um, What would the temptation look like if God called you to be faithful in a faithless generation? So what would some of the struggles be? You're called to be faithful, but all around you, you look at, unfaithfulness you look at maybe people who aren't playing by the rules who aren't cooperating who are maybe i don't know just a difficult proposition right what what do you think some of the temptations would be god calls you to be faithful in a faithless generation bo Uh, like when you see brothers and sisters especially that maybe have kind of fallen away from going to church and if they start talking about like look at this chick or look at this girl or saying something dirty you don't have to necessarily get into it you just be like hey man you know we were just talking about going to church and things like that like you know just kind of encourage them and then later on have them be like you know what you're right i'm sorry about that you know or something rather than giving in you know sometimes it's and giving in is saying nothing, or giving in is going along with it? Exactly, going along with it, and just joking, and then later on going, man, God put on my heart, I should have said something, and then you're not there in the moment. Okay, I got that. Not saying anything is giving in. Okay. So sometimes God calls us to speak up. That's hard. That's hard. What would some of the difficulties be? What would some of the questions that would be raised for that individual who is trying to just walk with God and look to God, but all around you, you just don't see it. You know, for some reason in my brain, like, you know that one scripture or portion of scripture where David talks about, like, why do the, why, how, why do the evil prosper and all that kind of stuff like that? So, you know, um, remembering the promise that God is just, um, even when you see wicked, it seems like it prevails. Um, remaining and standing on the promise that God is just and continue walking that way. Because that could start to be disheartening when you see things happening for people. At least I would say out of your mind, but, you know, you don't feel they've, they've lived the way that should afford what more or less what they're getting. Like, you know, they haven't been sowing the right seeds to be getting this kind of like, you okay. know, blessing. And then when you see it happen on like on a wide scale where it's like, and it's okay, it's just kind of like, Lord, I don't know what's going on. So that just makes me think of that remaining faithful to know that God is just and he will um, judge rightly. And Monica's talking, of, uh, referring to Psalm 73 and David is struggling because he's seeing the wicked prosper. He's seeing individuals that aren't even really walking in the path of the Lord 
who seem to be getting all the breaks, and yet he is struggling with his circumstances. And so it says, until he came into the sanctuary of the Lord, and then he saw that their feet were on slippery places, and that any moment they can go in eternity without God. And so he saw it. So that was an, a perspective adjustment, right? He was looking on, on a horizontal plane, and God got him look, his eyes looking up. And so that helps us. So having an eternal perspective, because it does sometimes seem like, like the wicked prosper, or individuals that aren't even, I don't know, trying as hard. I don't know, you know, whatever we might struggle with. We see them, wow, don't even look like they got problems, man. And I just got all kinds of stuff going on. And then God helped him with the perspective when he got back to church, is the way I like to look at it. Anybody else? Go ahead, Angel. Um, like your, your purity, you know, sexual purity, um, where you're supposed to be faithful that way to the Lord, and a lot of people. Yeah. And it looks like something is okay for them, but we're living by a different code, a different standard. And I think getting in touch with that too and understanding, well, God loves us and he gives us these instructions because he loves us. He doesn't want to see us with a broken heart. He doesn't want to see us. um, Things happen when we begin to exchange chemicals and uh, there's a bonding that takes place and the Lord doesn't want that to take place outside of a committed relationship, let's just say. So, good, very good. How long would you endure? Do you have a limit? How, how long can you hold on to doing the hard thing? No, no, no. To do the hard thing. God called you to do something hard. And it looks like it's unfair. It looks like, hey, why, why me? Why am I having to go through this hard thing? It doesn't seem right. It seems like you put a little more on these shoulders. How long would you endure? How long could you endure? Monique, hold on. As long as it takes. As long as it takes. Um, as much as the Spirit provides. I know that I can only endure so much, but when His Spirit is giving me strength to endure what's presented. Um, plus, <coughs> I think it, um, there's comfort in knowing that, you know, as long as God is letting me know, like, what's happening, like, this is purposeful. He's not just being malicious or careless. So it's not some random yeah. thing. Yeah, like he's, you know, it, it makes it some people God, you know. <laughs> it, it, I can endure as long as I can, you know. But if I leave on myself, I, well, I won't last a week. <laughs> and we learned last week, I listened to the study, that God will give you more than you can handle, but God won't give you more than he can handle. So we take that worldly saying that, hey, man, God, God ain't going to give you more than you can handle. Uh, yeah, I think he gives us a lot of things that we can't handle. But he wants us to lean on him. He wants us to look to him. He wants us to trust in him. He wants us to find strength in him. He can handle it all. And there's no big or little for God. It's all, you know. Yeah. We pray for a code and we're like, hey, God. Yeah, God's got you, man. Let me pray for a code. And then we pray for cancer. Oh, my God. I got cancer. I got to pray louder. And I'm sorry, Destiny. I love you. 
Leslie, did I steal your thunder? Yeah, you pretty much did. That's good. <laughs> Isn't it to the point of a surrender? Right? The point that we're finally surrendering. So how long can we endure? We can endure to as long as we're willing to surrender? Cool. No, but Jesus, and then finally it's like, okay, I know you got this because I can't change anything without you or until I, I think I finally learned less and not yeah. to go this route and then until he really sees that, oh, okay, you, you're not focusing on you and the circumstances, you're focusing back on me. So how many of you have been to a place, honestly, where you're thinking, God, you must know something about me that I don't know about myself, because why would you allow this to go this long? How, how many of you have been there? Ho- hopefully, all of us have been through a difficult time where we're like, God, for real though right now, God? Because I'm, I'm blah, 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 three, you know, you got like, you're drowning, and blah, 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 threes already. Lord, is three, and he's got you going five and six, and you're like. I, I kind of went to a lot of different circumstances in my life, but I, I kind of thank God that I kind of learned from it. I just, it's, it's, it's either one thing or another, I can just stop or, or I can just fix it in, my, in the way of my way of understanding. But there's always God, so I, I think God takes us out of the places where we don't want to continue to get through something that, that, that we feel is not me, is not what I want to do. And, and move on from it. I just think that. Amen. Arabella? Yeah, I forget everything because I learned from Amen. Good job. Thanks for sharing. All right. So this study, we're, gonna, we're on Greatest Stories Ever Told, number 14. This is a summary of uh, Jeremiah and application. And Jeremiah is 40-something chapters. I don't know what it is. It's a long book. Obviously, we're going to look at all of it. I'm going to summarize a lot of it, but I definitely want to let you know where this came from. So I was listening to this little kid preach in Spanish like three weeks ago. And he was dropping it. He was like just passion, like just bringing the word. And then he quotes Jeremiah 33, 3. Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. And he was just dropping this message. And I was like, man, that's a powerful scripture. This little boy just talking about God, call on me, and God's going to clama me on me. And he's just giving this message, and I'm like, man, I looked it up. I looked up Jeremiah 33.3. I was like, ah, in English, okay. That's what that says, call on me, and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. I was like, man, I got to check out Jeremiah. So I started reading Jeremiah. I was like, man, Jeremiah. So you can probably endure a hard thing for a while, we usually say, right? A week, a month, a year. What about 10 years? What if you had to go through a difficulty 10 years? What about 20 years, two decades? Jeremiah endured for 40 years. For 40 years, the hard thing to do something difficult. And I look at that and I think, wow, I'm, all right, maybe I got a tough kid. I can get the kid out at 18 and I can just like, okay, bye-bye, good bye-bye. And then that never happens, right? Because they're boomerangs. You throw them out and they come back and you don't even try to catch them. But nonetheless, right? And so you think, okay, maybe 20 years. Well, 30 years. Well, 30 years, they got to get it together, right? They don't get it together. They still don't get it together. And this is 40 years, right? 40 years he had to endure doing what God had called him to and he wanted to quit. But he said, mm, your word burned inside of me and I couldn't help but speak it 
And so Jeremiah is called to do this hard thing. He wrote between the years 630 and 580 B.C., and it was, like I said, a four-decade or so ministry. The purpose of the writing, Book of Jeremiah, records the final prophecies to Judah, warning of oncoming destruction if the nation does not repent. Jeremiah calls out for the nation to turn back to God. At the same time, Jeremiah recognizes the inevitability of Judah's destruction due to its unrepentant idolatry and immorality. And so the nation of Israel is at their last stages of rejecting God, pushing God away, saying no to God. They want God's blessings. They want the good stuff, but they don't want to go in God's direction. And so they're at the end of that stage where eventually what's going to happen, God is going to give them over to their sin and God's going to let them have it. Obviously, the final straw will be rejecting the coming Messiah. They would, in first century, reject, on the whole, Jesus. We would see at Rome, the destruction of Rome, the temple, the final temple, right? Or the last temple that we had. Or they would see that final uh, destruction of the temple. And then we'd see 2,000 years, 2,000 years of pretty much what the Bible calls partial blinding or a partial hardening of their hearts. And so Jeremiah would be that last prophet that would let them know judgment's coming, judgment's coming, judgment com- judge- judgment's coming. Anybody know how many converts Jeremiah had? Yeah, he had zero. But you think Jeremiah would be judged on his faithfulness or how many converts he had? Results are up to God. So people have a free will, don't they? And people are going to do what people are going to do. And so for us, we just want to be faithful to proclaim whatever it is that God wants us to speak. And the combination of truth and love is the battle for us. We're called to speak the truth and love. So whatever message we're communicating, we want to make sure that that message is spoken in love and we're not mincing words. It's the truth, okay? So key verses. We're in Jeremiah chapter 1. Look at uh, verse 5 with me. Uh, The Bible says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. You think that would comfort Jeremiah to hear that? That before he was formed, before he was in the womb, before he came into existence, God had already known him and God had already ordained him to be a prophet. You think that would bring him comfort to know that? That would help endure, wouldn't it? Would that help you endure if God knows every struggle that you have? Would that help you? Would that help you go a little longer knowing that God is aware of the difficulty? I think it does because as Monique said, it's not arbitrary. It's not random. It's not um, for nothing. God will not waste an ounce of your pain. He is not sadistic. He is not punishing you. He was punished for you. And when I say he's not sadistic, he's not looking to just get his jollies on seeing you go through struggles or difficulties. Okay? So it's very important that we understand that God is purposeful. And when we go through something that we don't understand, we can't begin to ask questions about what's going on that we don't understand. We have to fall back on things that we do understand And what are two immutable truths? God loves me and God is good. 
God loves me and God is good. He is a good God. He is for you. He's not against you. He's not mad at you. He's madly in love with you. He has a plan for you. And he wants to ultimately have you communing with him. And Joshua said it last week. He gave the example of Miles McPherson, right? Some guy comes up to Pastor Miles McPherson. Man, I'm going through the hardest trial of my life. And Miles says, uh, he says, pray for me. Miles, Miles says, uh, well, how's your life right now? Well, I'm praying every day and I'm in the word and I'm looking to the Lord like I never have. He goes, why would I pray for you? Why would I pray for you? God has you right where he wants you. You're seeking the Lord. You're spending time in his word. You're, you're looking to help others, right? You're doing all these good things. And so a lot of times I think that's what it is. It gives, I think trials and difficulties give us that, that eternal perspective where it's like we know that we were created for something different, for something better, and that's heaven. So I think that would encourage him. Jump over to Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah chapter 17. <clears throat> And like I said, we're just going to read a few verses and I'll give you kind of the synopsis of the book. But as Jeremiah is getting this message, um, the nation of Israel is about to go into Babylonian captivity. In fact, the king is named in the book of Jeremiah before they would go into captivity to King Nebuchadnezzar. Isn't that crazy? And Jeremiah prophesies it. So in Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 9 and 10, the Bible says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. And so that's something that we need to know about us, but that's also something that we need to know about others, that the heart is deceitfully wicked uh, above. Notice the, the heart is deceitful, I'm sorry, above all things, and desperately wicked. So we need to know that about us because a lot of times, well, just follow your heart. Well, your heart can lie to you. And notice what he does. He, he equivocates. Is that the word I want to use? He, he matches the heart with the mind in verse 10. Did you see what he did there? He said, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. One and the same. So the heart is the center of your being, but it's connected to your mind. And it's not your brain but it is the center of thought. And so that's very important that we understand that even to give to every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. You can't outgive God. You want to move in the direction of God. What was the nation doing at the time? They were being bamboozled by the world. They were thinking that idolatry was better than serving God. They were thinking that sin was better than God. And God is letting them know the day that you guys go after those other nations and you reject me, I can't help but reject you. And so God let them know, and that's where they were. Jump over to Jeremiah chapter 18, next chapter, and I'll summarize this one. It is the potter and the clay. And specifically, he's speaking about the nation, and he gives an illustration. And he says, let's say there was a potter, and he has a wheel, and he has a lump of clay. And the wheel begins to spin, right? You're doing it with the foot thing, foot pedal, right? And the wheel begins to spin, takes the water, begins to put his hands and pressure on the clay. He says, if it becomes marred, can I from a new lump of clay make something new? 
And so through the illustration of the potter here, let me give it to you. I'll give it to you. It's uh, Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 1 through 11. Let's read at least a couple verses. Verse 5. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so you are in my hand, O house of Israel. The instant I speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to pluck up, to pull down, and to destroy, if that nation against whom I spoke turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. And the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plan it, if it does evil in my sight so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good with which I said I would benefit. And so he shows them through that example that he's sovereign and that he can't help but if we move in his direction to come in our direction. He's the initiator. He's already proven his love. But if we are doing something that is outside of his will and we recognize it and the minute we turn back to him, he's saying, I'm right back at you. We're always one moment or decision away from being on fire with the Lord. And that's a beautiful thing. So God will never reject us if we turn our hearts back to him. And that's a beautiful thing because all of us slip up. All of us make mistakes. All of us get off. It's like we get in these little, I don't know what they are, seasons, moods, right? But the minute we come back to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't know what I was thinking, man. I was... We do get caught up. I think, and until we can realize where we're at, it's like, <laughs> Amen. Jump over to Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29. So that speaks of the sovereignty of God. Know that God is sovereign over your life. He's sovereign over my life. That means he rules and he reigns. Jeremiah 29. Now remember what's going on in the nation's history here. Remember what's taking place. Jeremiah 29. Notice verses 10 through 14 with me. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good uh, word toward you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be fine by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I've driven you, says the Lord. I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away. So 70 AD, what takes place? The temple's destroyed. Jews are dispersed throughout the whole world. When would they come back? 1948. May 14th. Imagine you went on a, a very high mountain and you had a goose down pillow and you, you had a knife or some scissors and you, you cut it and you just, just threw those feathers and they flew all over the valley. You just saw them just go down and go down and go down. How hard would it be for you to go and grab every single pillow that was, or every single feather that was in that pillow from all, wherever they scattered, wherever the wind took them and put them back in that pillow and sew it back up. You think that would be a pretty easy thing or a difficult thing? Okay. So what God did was, was even more extreme. It's like he took grains of sand and he scattered them all over the world 
And then one by one, he probably went, uh, I got you. And put it in his little palm right here, right? And then he brought them back into the land. The miracle of the Jews being in Israel is, is the, just proof that the Bible is the word of God. It's crazy. May 14, 1948, the miracle of God bringing them back into the land is just amazing, okay? Go ahead and jump over to Jeremiah 31. I'll summarize this one as well. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. He speaks of a time where he's going to give the nation of Israel a new covenant. And he says, no longer is anybody going to have to tell anybody the law because I'm going to place the law in their hearts. And they're all going to know me. And they're all going to serve me. We're experiencing the new covenant. The nation of Israel, not yet. But this is prophecy is for the nation of Israel. They will experience where? Anybody know where the nation of Israel is going to come back to the Lord? In a seven-year period called the? The tribulation period. They're going to have to go through a literal hell on earth to be able to come back to the fold. And I think it's prophesied. I don't know if it's in Ezra or Ezekiel, but I think it's one-third of all the nation of Israel will come back to the Lord. That's the all that he speaks of. It's crazy. That's a lot of people. More people will be saved in the tribulation than ever in the history of... That's crazy, right? So God's wrath is being poured out. His judgment is being poured out. And more people are coming to the Lord so that they can go to heaven in that period than ever because God's grace is still at work even in his judgment. That's crazy. So that's Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. That's the new covenant. Jump over to Jeremiah 52. Last set of scriptures we'll read. Jeremiah 52. Here we go. Jeremiah 52. I'll read it. You can listen. Verses 12 and 13. Now, in the fifth month, on the tenth day of the month, which was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, um, the captain of the guard who served the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He burned the house of the Lord in the king's house, all the houses of Jerusalem, that is, all the houses of the great, he burned with fire. So this is the first temple burned to the ground. Then they would build a new one. Jesus would come to the second temple. So that's just a prophecy that that's what would take place and when it would take place. Naming kings that don't even exist yet. Just crazy. Just awesome, right? All right, so that is pretty much what I wanted to give you as far as the verses. Let me give you a summary um, and then practical application. Jeremiah presents prophecy of the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. The prophet describes him as a branch from the house of David, Matthew chapter 1. The king who would reign in his wisdom and righteousness, Revelation eleven fifteen. It is Christ who will finally be recognized by Israel as her true Messiah as he provides salvation for his chosen ones, Romans 11, verse 26. Uh, Romans 9, 10, 11 speak of na- the nation of Israel's past, present, and future. 11 speaks of their future and what's going to take place. So our practical application is how do we endure with what God has called us to do when we always don't see the things that maybe we want to see in life. And I think Jeremiah proves pretty awesome as an individual who did that. And I think ultimately we have to get from the Lord what we need from the Lord when we need it from the Lord. So he's not playing hide and seek. I love that scripture that we read. You will seek for me And you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. 
I love that other scripture in Chronicles that said, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking whom he may turn his heart, what, what is, show himself strong to, those whose hearts are turned towards him. And so God doesn't play games with us. And I think he waits us out long enough so that we maybe would stop playing games with him. And so that interim right there is a time for us to kind of grow up. I love 1 Corinthians 13, 13. It says, when I was a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put childish things away. And I think for all, all of God's kids, there is a season of, you know, baby Christian and youth and toddler, adolescence. But at some point, God calls us to grow up. And he says, put your big girl pants on, put your big boy pants on, and I'm going to communicate to you lovingly, yet sternly and seriously, that there are things that you know in your life you need to put behind you. There are things in your life that I've been asking you to renounce. I've been asking you to move forward from. And so it's not that I'm mad at you. It's not that I hate you, but these things are not good for you. At what point are you going to begin letting me lead you? Letting me run your life. Do you still want to take the reins? Then I'll wait you out. If you want to run your life and you want to run the show and you want to be in control and you want to be in charge, you know how much I love you. I'll let you do that. But we're not both going to steer the ship. We're not going to both have controls of the plane because you're going to crash us and burn us. Because I know where we're going. I know the terrain. I know the, I know the location. And I can get us there. And I think at some point, if we're going to endure, we're going to have to learn how to grow up and take God at his word. And, and I'm, I'm, all I'm speaking of is one word that we need to walk by. We need to walk by faith. And faith says we trust God. We take him at his word. That he says what he means and he means what he says. And he's not mad at us and he's not like, Man, I think if we really, really got in touch with how much God loves us, and how gracious he is, and how merciful he is, I think, man, I think a lot of it is the strongholds that, that live inside of us. I've learned in, my last, in the last years of my walk that, man, I just really got some messed up thoughts in my head. And God is so patient to just wait, wait for the right moments, wait for the right time to be able to bring me to that place where he's like, come here, son. I've been trying to show you this for a while. Come here. You can get this one. And then he shows me and I'm like, wow. I thought I had that way different than you're showing me. Wow, you're so patient. You're so patient to endure with me. You're so impatient to, to not like beat me up with it. You're, not, you're so patient to just gently, graciously point it out. So that I, now you're giving me the option. Once you see it, now the ball's in your court, right? All right, Lord, you just showed that to me. You just revealed that to me. Now, what am I going to do with that? I'm going to have to look to the Lord for strength to do what I probably don't have the strength to do in myself. Because if I did, I probably already would have done it. So I come to the place where I'm like, oh, I can't. God's like, yay, you can't. So what are you going to do? Oh, I guess, huh, surrender, stick them up, put my hands up. It's like he has the gun in the back, right? And what are you going to do? I'm going to fight. I'm going to turn around. I'm going to sock God. Your arms are too short. You can't fight God. 
You can fight God, but you're not going to win. Right? So I think that's what Jeremiah teaches us. He teaches us how to endure in the hard thing. And again, all we're called to is faithfulness. We're not called to results. You and I are not called to results. God gets glory for any good that works out of our lives. Okay? Questions, comments, concerns? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, the lovely couple to the right. Okay, so you said something about Israel in 1948. Uh huh. What the heck happened in 1948? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the nation of Israel was scattered all over the world. In 1948? No, in 70 AD. So they were displaced. So it's like they used to live in Garden Grove. They got kicked out of Garden Grove. And guess where they went? They went all over the world. A lot of them settled in Russia. A lot of them in Poland. A lot of them in Germany. Right? So and then in the 1940s, 19, late 30s, this guy Hitler comes up through Germany. And he develops this Third Reich. Right? And so he blames all of the world's problems on this one group of race people, the Jews. And so he slaughters how many? Six million? And six million others. So 12 million altogether, but six million specifically Jews. For the first time since the Jews were scattered all over the world, for the first time in the 1940s, the United Nations, the whole world felt sorry for this group of people. Before that, nah, whatever, they're Jews, we hate Jews, everybody hated Jews. For the first time, everybody who had enough authority and power to be able to say, give them back their land. They said, give them back their land, let them go back. So from all over the world, in 1948, on May 14th, they came back to Israel and they once again formed a nation. That's a miracle. Any other questions? The strength of your faith is in what that faith is in, not your ability to believe. I once told um, a guy that I was in ministry with, I said, man, I have a strong faith, bro. You don't even know how strong my faith is. And he said, be careful because faith in faith, God will pull the rug of faith from under you and you'll see truly how strong, how strong your faith is not. Your faith is in God. And so your faith is only as good in the object in which you place it. Because there's some passionate, sincere people out there that are lost because their faith is in something that's misplaced. Anybody else? I guess that's a good way of, you know, because <laughs> that, was, that was kind of like a, that was kind of good. What is it? I guess it's, it's kind of cool to understand it because sometimes, you know, you'll talk to people that, you know, are believers or even fellow Christians that are like, you know, what do you say about the J-Dub? What do you say about the Mormon? They're so sincere. You know, what do you say about, you know, we'll say, and I, I'm still kind of torn about J-Dub. Like, J-Dub. I just said that. I just oh. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Jones <laughs> Witnesses and Catholics and, you know, like, you have a friend that's, that's Catholic and it's just like, Lord, what do you, her, her faith is very sincere. Um, I'm still kind of asking the Lord to to reconcile those things, but you know, but yeah, like that's a good way of really um, explaining that faith in faith. You know. 
Yeah, and if we're ever talking to a Catholic, because Catholicism, you can be saved through Catholicism, yeah. you just ask, what are you trusting in? Yeah. My first communion, yeah. the rosary, I pray to the Blessed Virgin, all of that's no. Yeah. There's only one mediator between God and man. I'm trusting in Jesus and the finished work of the cross. Praise God, I'll see you in heaven. Mm-hmm. Praise God. So Catholicism is okay as long as they're trusting in what the Bible teaches we're supposed to trust in. There's a lot of Protestants that are trusting in Baptist Church, Methodist Church, Episcopalian. Oh, <laughs> Calvary Chapel. Mm, don't do it. Yeah, True. Basically, the seven sacraments. Yeah. Of, like you said, getting married, uh, doing all these different things, the same rosary. No mortal sins. It's, I mean, it's funny in the midst of conversation, like you'll talk, but then you end up parting, you know, parting ways. So I think those are parts that I was like, always ask the Lord to help me reconcile yeah. in regards to, and it's, and at the end, it really boils down to where, where their faith is. Yes. Based, so. That's what it comes to. Well, let's pray and then uh, we'll do some praise reports. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, I just pray for anybody struggling, anybody going through difficulty, Lord, that They would see, Lord, that you love them, that they would see, Lord, that you are with them, that they would see that you are waiting on them to rely upon you, to trust in you, to hope in you, to lean on you, to ask of you. And so I just hold them up to you, Father, and I pray that they they would know, Lord, that nothing can separate them from your love. Nothing can separate us, Lord, from your love. If God is for us, then who can be against us? So... We thank you, Lord, and we pray that uh, we would just continue to look to you and find our strength and hope in you as we trust you and as we walk by faith. In Jesus' name, amen.